Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hi, it's Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team. Today we welcome Sarah McCoy, author of Marilla of Green Gables, to the podcast. Sarah is the New York Times, USA Today, and international best-selling author of novels The Mapmaker's Children, The Baker's Daughter, and A Time at Snow in Puerto Rico. She previously taught English and writing at Old Dominion University at the University of Texas at El Paso. And her upcoming novel, Marilla of Green Gables, is a bold, heartfelt tale of life at Green Gables before Anne, all stemming from a quote from chapter 37 of Anne of Green Gables. What a nice looking fellow he is, said Marilla absently. I saw him in church last Sunday and he seemed so tall and manly. He looks a lot like his father did at the same age. John Blythe was a nice boy. He used to be real good friends, he and I. People called him my beau. Anne looked up with swift interest. Oh, Marilla, and what happened? This is Marilla's origin story. What events led up to her taking in an orphan and raising the curious, loving adult Anne we have all grown up to adore? So welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Lainey. (laughs) Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. I love podcasts. I love literary podcasts. These are kind of my addiction right now. I listen to them on plane rides. Oh, I listen to them when I go to the store shopping. Perfect I just have earbuds on and I go through the aisles up and down listening to podcasts. Yes, and librarians, when they're stacking their books, they can listen to us. Really? I mean, why why would you need to listen to anything else? No. (laughs) (laughs) So, Anne is a classic. It's one of my favorites, so I'm so excited to meet you. And I've been telling people I love her so much that, and the book was so good that I couldn't have given her up for any less. Oh my gosh. It's, I like truly believe in this and I'm so excited about it. So, it so this happy. is the 110th anniversary yes. of it being published. So it's coming and it's so, oh, it's so nice to look back on Anne. Um, and so can you tell us more about why you decided to tell this story? You know, it's funny that this is the 110th anniversary because I didn't plan it. I actually remembered when it was the 100 year anniversary um, so that was 2008, and I remember thinking, oh, wow, I want to go to Prince Edward Island. It's the 100-year anniversary, and little, I had no idea about that I would ever write this book, and then 10 years later now, 110, and there's something, I think there's something um, magical about that, that it's this anniversary date, and I, again, like I said, I didn't, you know, think it is 110 years, I'm going to write this book now. It actually, I wasn't going to write this book at all. I wrote a whole other book called Pride and Providence. That is the book that I gave to um, my agent. And I said, that's my next book. And so she shopped it around. She said, okay, we've got some international publishers who are going to put it out. But, um, you know, I'm talking to HarperCollins. And they wise ones my editor harper collin rachel who i is one of my kindred spirits truly truly she said well what else do you have what else does sarah have on her heart to write and i said what is what does that mean and she said well what's give me some ideas of things that make your heart just sing 
and she said, spitball with me. And I've never had an editor, never. I've had seven different editors too. Um, and I've never had one say, tell me what makes your heart sing. Like that's a different question than tell me what's a good next book to write or what's historically going on or um, you know timely material or any you know historical. Fi- and this was what makes your heart sing, and I said, you know, I've had an idea to write Marilla Cuthbert's story, and she said, do it. That's what we're doing. She said, you are coming here to HarperCollins. We are doing this book together. Let's do it. So really without her encouragement, thank you, Rachel, if you're listening, <laughs> without her in my life, I would have gone in a totally different direction. Wow. And it's because of her that this book ever started. I mean, from the, you know, from just one word or one sentence idea, Marilla Cuthbert, um, then I started writing once I knew that she believed in it too. And so that's why. And again, the time, 110 years, that just happened to be the magic of it. There was no plotting involved with it. so Just kind of like serendipity. Or organic, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So everybody has like an Anne story if they are big fans. They have, it kind of evokes an emotion. So what's your Anne story? Did you know her growing up or later in life? Um, my mother read Anne of Green Gables to me before I could ever read. She, it was her favorite book. And so she got, I, I just spoke to a library breakfast and I told them that um, she reminded me that the library book that she read from when I was a child was from her school library. It wasn't even one that we owned. So she read me the book when I was young and then when I was six years old, my auntie, Aunt Gloria, she got me a copy of Anna Green Gables. It was a volume set, so it was a whole bunch of the books in one, and it was thick as a Bible and teeny tiny print, and that is the first one that I actually read myself. So I came to love and know Anne as almost a real person in my childhood that I grew up alongside, and I really feel uh, the older I got, um, my husband blames the wilds of El Paso, Texas as making me more rugged, but I feel as though I grew from this starry-eyed, dreamy, Anne Shirley kind of girl who I really felt like Anne was my kindred spirit and my friend who was just like me in so many ways, I grew from her into this sober, middle-aged Marilla. And that's who I really identify with now. Um, I see so many valuable and beautiful qualities about Marilla. So again, Anne was part of my childhood and now Marilla is part of my adult. Yeah. What's and, what's some of the what are some of the qualities that you Marilla is really oh, special. Marilla is ah, she is she has grit, and she is honest about the things she sees, and she loves hard, and she believes in the people she believes in. Um, she's stable, and she has a heart to do what's right. She she's honorable. And she has faith in things that she can't see yet. She had faith in a little red-headed, 
you know, volatile orphan that came to her door. And though she was dubious at first, she had faith that something special was there. So, you know, Marilla is really, she's like the uh, the adult spirit of, I feel, Lucy, uh, Lucy Montgomery's series. She is that sort of prevailing, unconditional love, that stability at the mm. backbone of the book. And that's why I felt like her story really deserved to be told. Yeah. Speaking of Ella Montgomery, I was reading the back of the book at the very end, and you were saying you went to Prince Edward Island, and I found it very humbling that you said, I'm not Ella, I'm not Lucy Ma Montgomery. I'm not here to reinvent the no. wheel. I'm here to tell Marilla's story because she needs her due, and people need to know about this person that she, she is an adult. You kind of don't know about how she was as a kid. So I really enjoyed that you're just I'm trying to so give her glad. a story. Yes. Um, so tell us about your trip to Prince Edward Island. Oh, that was so wonderful. I had always talked about going with my mom. We, like I said, she read it to me and we dreamed about it for my whole life. And there was just never really, you know, a reason. It was kind of like, oh, you know, we could take that trip to Prince Edward Island this year, or no, we can go to Europe. You know, it was always like, oh, well, Paris is more, you know, or at least, you know, to our our perspective others, my <laughs> father and my husband, it was like, let's go to Paris. Why, yeah. you know, what are we going to go up to Prince Edward Island? But don't you understand? It's Anne. So finally, when I, you know, told Rachel I was going to write this book and we were going to do this together, um, I knew I had to go. I knew I had to go. And so uh, I did. I went up last October and I researched and I wrote there and I explored the island and I went to all the places that Lucy Ma Montgomery in her diary, which is published um, and anyone can read. It's beautiful and it really gives insight to her writing world and the creation of all of her work, um, particularly Green, the Green Gables landscape. Um, so I went there and I stayed and I rambled around and my mom came up and, and stayed with me for a time and took pictures of everything. She's a, a amateur photographer so she captured so much of its beauty. I met Lucy Ma Montgomery's um, relations who still live there, particularly wow. the Campbell family, George and Pamela, shout out to them. And they are so fascinating. So Pamela is almost like now the auntie of the place. She lives in on the Campbell Farm, which is the Anne of Green Gables Museum. Mm. She lives in that old historic building and she gives tours and everything. And that was Lucy Ma Montgomery's favorite Aunt Annie, mm. Anne with an E, Annie. That's where she got the name for her Anne, Shirley. That was her home. And that's where Lucy Ma Montgomery said she felt the most sense of place and family. Because Lucy Ma Montgomery, her mother died when she was young. Mm -hmm. And she was raised by her maternal grandmother, who she said was very stern. And they had their own farm down the way. And that is actually just ruins now. Mm -hmm. You can go see, but, um, so they have the ruins, which are her family's farm. And then you have next door her cousins who, had what is now Green Gables. Like if you go to Prince Edward Island now and you go to Green Gables, that is actually her cousin's farm. Mm. And then there is her favorite Aunt Annie, which is the Anne of Green Gables Museum. So there are three locations <laughs> to be, you know, to 
Can you tell how much time I spent? I know. You're <laughs> like a travel log. You could just tell people right, exactly where to go. I really could. Yeah. But there's three locations that the fictional Green Gables are based on. Okay. Those three. And so really, in, in order to understand the landscape and understand what Lucy Montgomery was dreaming about, you have to go to all three. Yeah. And so I did. And most tourists or most people who go just go to the Heritage House, which is Green Gables, her cousins next door to her grandparents. Um, and that's beautiful. They've done a wonderful job making it look like Green Gables yeah. and feel like Green Gables for everyone who visits. Sort of that magical feeling is there. But all three locations are equally important to the yeah. story. So I can't say enough about no. my, my trip there. It's too big. It would take like an hour yeah. long of a podcast. I feel like you've met the characters, really. <laughs> well, you know, I needed to know the real yeah. before I could launch into the fictional. Yeah. To do justice and to pay reverence yeah. to a legacy. This isn't just a story that I'm making up out of my head. This is a whole family's legacy. The Campbells, the Montgomerys, you know, all of them this is their life. This is the Anne of Green Gables has become part of their reality. And so I needed to go back to the island and see what it all was based on. You know, I needed to sit on Cavendish Beach at sunset and see the island turn bright red. And it actually does. The it everything goes on fire around you. Like I needed to see that. I couldn't just imagine what that would be like. So in order for me to make it um, tangibly imaginable, that is, you know, those are, <laughs> that's paradoxical, but in order to do that for the readers, I had to actually experience it. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was unreal. I still think about that time, and I, I think, did I really live that? And I, I really did, and I think all of that went absolutely into the fabric of this book. Yeah, and it's beautiful there anyway, just if you go. But in the book, it's beautiful descriptions. And so I think that was cool for me to see where it's like, Anne is, she has her rose-colored glasses. She loves to see every the beauty and everything, but it's truly that beautiful. And I think it that isn't. was really interesting. I tried to give it a perspective of Marilla, you know, through Marilla's yeah. perspective. So um, there's that edge of, of danger in the beauty. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes beautiful things beautiful too is that yeah. there's sort of a and by danger I don't just mean scary it also can be a fragility yeah. that's dangerous you feel dangerous and so I think that is in this this book through Marilla's perspective yeah. it's Prince Edward Island through Marilla Cuthbert which has a little danger to it and a little um, well not a little a lot of danger to it and a lot of loss and there's yeah. some sadness but that all is part of what makes the story in the island so beautiful that you just you ache to have it so and you said you went to Ella Montgomery's grave Mm -hmm. and saw her oh yes I went there and I my mom was with me during that time and so we went and paid tribute and then my mom said I'm gonna give you your time alone and walked around took pictures of the of the graveyard area and I sat for about an hour just sat beside her grave I even think I have a picture up on Instagram somewhere <laughs> where my mom took it from you know from far away of me and I'm like you know in sitting cross-legged just on right beside her and just I wanted to ask her for her blessing over yeah. this book and the writing and the continuing of his her story even if it was backwards you know it wasn't a forward continuing it was a going backwards with her story but 
that was important because, um, like I said, this is a national treasure to Canada. This is a global treasure to all the rest of us. Yeah. It is something that we tr that we champion and we cherish, and it needs to continue to be championed and cherished. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to, you know, in layman's terms, I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. This is so beautiful and something I love so much. So again, to have librarians come up and be, oh my God, this is this is wonderful. We really, you know, love this. Yeah. That has been, it's done my heart good. So okay, I did. I feel like okay, Maud, yeah. sweet Maud. <laughs> I did. I did you justice. Yeah. And that's what I really aimed for yeah. with this book. You put a lot of work into it. I know, like research-wise, because in the book there's a lot of political strife as well because mm -hmm. the civil war is going on. So people are coming into Canada, and Marilla gets involved in some politics. Um, so how did you research that aspect too? You know. Well, the Canadian research, I just had to plain research. I had to teach myself. And oh, someone who helped me incredibly was Susanna Kearsley. Mm -hmm. She is a Canadian author, historical fiction. And so I reached out to her, bless her heart. She was <laughs> wonderful. She sent me a whole bunch of links to archived <laughs> Canadian documents that I never would have really found. Wow. I mean, it would have taken me probably a whole year just to find them. But she sent me a link to all these things. She said, if you have the time and the inclination to read the tiny print of these. <laughs> and of course I was thinking, well, I have to. Yeah. I have to know what I'm talking about. So I read it all, highlighted it all, really took a mini course yeah. in um, Canadian historical background and politics yeah. and in what was going on in the country. But at the same time, I think part of the, I, I don't know if you would call it research or not, but just experience that went into this was our own country. Mm -hmm. and the political strife that we just went through um, with the past election yeah. and, you know, liberals and conservatives, Democrat, Republicans, people who were just families went into this spiral of yeah. anger and belligerent almost hate and violence and, oh my goodness, it didn't, and I, you know, I'm not political by nature. I don't like that kind of strife. Um, I believe respect what other people believe in, and yet I saw how that could corrupt yeah. just even conversations with people. True. And so um, that same thing happened in Canada. Really? Yeah, that same thing happened in really? Canada during this time period. Um, and again, it was the it was liberals and conservatives against you. And at the time, it was the people who were loyal to the crown and the people who wanted to have their own nation mm. and be independent. And so those were the two conflicting groups there. And it was really interesting to see why they believed what they believed yeah. and how it also got processed and translated into a religious battle. Yeah. How much was that here <laughs> in the United States? Well, there were a lot of, of people arguing that um, if you were faith-filled or religious or um, evangelical Christian that you needed that Trump or the mm -hmm. Republican Party that was your duty t to go that way and yet there were a lot of us who were saying well you can be spiritual and yeah. and be you know God-loving and be on both sides and be yeah. nothing be independent and be you know or I can yeah. be you know a proponent of 
I don't even know, you, you know, bring in somebody else. It doesn't matter. We can all come together and just be a proponents and, and cheerleaders for our nation and our collectiveness. Mm. And so that's exactly what happened in Canada. So really, those similarities, oh, that was one of those yeah. magical, not even magical, that's one of those providence things. You know, I believe in that theory, history repeats itself, yeah. and that this is the time that we as Americans and Canadians and globally needed to hear this story. Well, if you didn't think that Anne was relevant to you, I mean, all little girls can read it now and they feel like it's relevant to them, but even more now. And this, so this book is very relevant because of what's going on in the culture and political culture. Too. Yes. So that's really interesting. Um, so maybe to shift into the story a little bit sure. more. So the titles of the chapters kind of mirror some of Anne's life and like things are so familiar, like the current wine that the her and her mom make, yes. and the brooch, and it's nice to, or even like Matthew saying, "Well, I don't know," you know, yeah, yeah. it's very I don't know. I don't know. familiar. But um, why, why did we start with Marilla at thirteen? We were close to Anne's age when we meet her, right? So can you tell a little bit about? Well, that? right there, I wanted there to be mirrors. Okay, uh, I felt again that reverence to the original series and that reverence to readers of the original series who have all this knowledge about the setting and about the characters in their hearts and in their minds. So that age, and I understand now too why Lucy Maud Montgomery chose that age mm -hmm. specifically for Anne because it's an age of change. It's an age where for females your body's changing, yeah. you're developing. Uh, you are at an age educationally where you are starting to branch off into more adult learnings, not just of school books, but in world experience. Yeah. You, at that age, at that time, in the 1830s, that was on the cusp of being an adult. Yeah. You were already doing adult duties, you know, 12, 13, 14, definitely. Um, people were getting married at 15, 16, so that was the coming of age. And so all that fits perfectly for this story, for her to start yeah. at this coming of age and then to have this event that rocks her world and choices are made and promises are made. Yeah. And so then she moves forward out of that and grows into the woman that she that becomes our Marilla that we know. Yeah. And this is a really interesting story to write narratively um, because it's backwards. We know the end of Marilla already. Yeah. Lucy Mom Montgomery gave us the end. Mm -hmm. So we know her end and now it's all the beginnings and all the growth from from what age. You can't start as a baby. You can't yeah. start <laughs> you can't start there. And I also wanted to start at the um, when Green Gables was built. Yeah. And so, looking at the, you have no idea, I took copious <laughs> notes. I read the series over again, and I underlined, highlighted, plucked yeah. out all the little details. Like made a timeline, kind of? Basically. Mm -hmm. Of all the details that were, would have been relevant to then, you know, a decade, two decades before. Mm -hmm. um, just to understand how things were put together, mm -hmm. puzzled together. And so this would have been when Green Gables was constructed. And that right there, you know, that's a starting point. You yeah. can't, you know, I didn't want to start where they were living somewhere else. Why would I do that? Yeah. It's too far back. So, so this was the perfect beginning for her. 
We have her at an age where also readers, readers who are old can identify with her. Because mm -hmm. again, we know the end, Marilla. And readers who are young yeah. can identify with her and grow up with, with Marilla now. And I, I thought it was a, a good way to, to launch her forward. Yeah. So how do you think Anne and Marilla are alike? Oh, wow. We all know how they're different. Yes. 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 Marilla's very level-headed. Anne's very loving and joyous and daydreaming. <laughs> I think both in their, in their ways are um, ambitious. They're ambitious, and I think they both want big things for their life. And a lot, a lot of people will say, well, no, Marilla's just not. No. Just because she's on a on her homestead doesn't mean she she never yeah. she doesn't have big things. That in itself is a big thing. I right now am building a farmhouse in North Carolina. Yeah. So I can tell you firsthand, <laughs> building a home from scratch like they're like the Cuthberts did is a big thing. Ha being able to say this is my patch of ground, this is my yeah. earth that I cultivate and I take care of and I garden and I build this house and I make it a home and I tend to the people under its roof. That is a big dream. And back then people died from sickness all the time. So to have a family and a place that is yours and to have the money to have a place that is yours and not be a wanderer yeah. in the new world at the time, yeah. that is all a big thing. And in the text, there are all these little clues. I love her so much, Maud Montgomery, for giving us these clues. But they're from Scotland originally, and they just come over. So to be in the new world, to have your own place, again, she's done. It's big. Right. She, is, she had ambition. She had spunk and mm. all, you know, all these things that are very much like Anne. Anne Shirley, and I think she sees herself as inside of Anne, and she wanted to cultivate that. And she, in the books, um, in the original series, she encourages Anne to go to teaching school, and she encourages her to go yeah. out and do all these things on her own. And if she were a woman who was, who was small-minded or didn't have ambition or didn't believe in womanhood or anything, she wouldn't have done that. Yeah. She would have been like, no, Mary. Like Miss Rachel. Yes. Like, Go do what you're supposed to do. Yes, do what you're supposed <laughs> to do and just, you know, tend house and have babies and be quiet. Yeah. Um, but she she was big. She had, mm. and she was a feminist. Yeah. She was a feminist in the early sense. And in that, by that, um, it is equality that we're talking about. I know feminism sometimes gets a bad rap for like, yeah. but it is being equal and having equal opportunity, men and women, people of all places to have that equal, equal um, ability to achieve their dreams. Yeah. And that went for races and age. I think she is just the, I, I love Marilla so much because <laughs> she embodies so much of um, a very modern perspective. Like no matter your age, your gender, your race, your religious belief, you, we need to respect each other and we need to open our sphere up and to be embracing. So, and she learns, she isn't just like this in the book. She becomes these ways. She learns these lessons through the book and through the events that happen in the book. And I can't, 
tell you because I don't want to give everything away, but these are the things that make her the Marilla that then brings in an orphan girl and loves her and encourages her to go to teaching school and, and supports her. Beautiful. Um, so the quote, what happened, of the quote I read earlier, we have to talk about John Bly. Uh, and so the, the great quarrel is what I call it. Because I love that you called yes. it that too, the great, <laughs> great quarrel. quarrel. Because that's what it all stems from. And she, you know, kind of learns from, and learns from Marilla later. And she's like, okay, maybe I should let this go. But how did you decide? I mean, we're not going to tell them, obviously. But no, like, no. how did you decide what to make the fight about? And yeah, in that time period. You know, the way that Marilla in Anne of Green Gables mentions it, she says, oh, we, you know, we had an argument and I never forgive him and, and I wish I would have, you know, basically is what she tells Anne. And the way she says it made me think that it was, it couldn't have been something hateful, like, so, like he yeah. couldn't have hurt her. Mm -hmm. it, sound, or it sounds like it was something that she knew she could, it could have been easily resolved. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it shouldn't have even happened to begin with, and that's the reason she tells Anne, "Don't, don't do that. Don't, yeah. don't quarrel and hold on to a bitterness when if it's something that can be resolved." And like I spoke about earlier, I'm being very careful what I say here, not to give away to you, <laughs> you listeners and readers out there. But um, like I said earlier about our own culture, where there were people having arguments. You know, I had arguments with people I love. We. Lainey and I discussed that we both are big sisters to little brothers who we love and adore. Um, and, you know, I was having arguments with my brothers. Fight with a brother? No. I know. <laughs> I know. I, over politics, over things that really, when it comes down to the heart of it, when I, we're both eight in our 80s and, you know, I, I'm not going to really remember that or I don't want to. It's yeah. not that I won't remember. I don't want to. That's not going to be the focus of my life. And so... But we were having these heated, like, like, angry shouting, you know. And I was thinking, this is just crazy. I love you. You're my baby brother. I love you. You know, why are we arguing over something that has nothing to do with our hearts, really? Yeah. And so that's where then I thought, you know, if this is happening now, and I know this happened in the political historical timeline, yeah. then these were the arguments that were making, you know, royal person who was for the royal crown against someone who wanted a nation they were making them have almost a civil war made yeah. us have a civil war here is yeah. you know to be the north and the south being split so yeah. i thought if that could make us have a civil war could not be something that could you know possibly play into an argument and also whenever love's involved right Whenever love's involved. Everything's always heated more oh, than... It's, yeah. it's taken to a level that you don't... It escalates and suddenly you are... I mean, I still... I love my husband. I'm passionate about my husband. And we have these arguments where we're like so intense. And it's because <laughs> of the love behind yeah. it. And then afterwards, you know, when you make up, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> why, why were we so angry? And it's because love. It's because there was love involved in it. And I think that's what makes arguments um the making up so good yeah. and that's what makes when you don't make up that's what makes yeah. them so heartbreaking and why you hold on to them forever and ever and ever yeah. like marilla does forever and ever and ever so and, and unspeakable you know you can't really talk about something like that 
when you're older. Yeah, because it sounds silly. Silly, <laughs> yeah. It makes it sound like, oh, didn't, yeah. that's so silly. That's love, but that's that's really what it comes down to. I think maybe not so much reading the original, but after reading this, I found so much satisfaction that Gilbert is a part of her life later. So yes. she essentially is kind of his mom. Like yes. she gets to be this because you you know she has to see him and think like I could have had that family and now it's like he is he is family she gets to be a part of that and I think and it's, it's so sweet it's so funny because originally I when I wrote the first reader was my mother oh. so I wrote the first draft and I gave it to my mom well don't say oh yeah because I gave it to my mom <laughs> and she like she is a career teacher this was her favorite book you know she's kind of the ultimate reader so I gave it to her first draft and hadn't okay mom she read it and she calls me up and she says i met this and this and this chapter i won't give it away and she's like i am so frustrated with morella <laughs> i am so frustrated with her and she said you know we need to i you need to give some more details about why she would um Oh God, this is hard without giving anything away, guys. <laughs> about why she would make this decision and not go with her heart. We'll put it yeah. that way, um, and give it from the from John's. Give John a little more depth. And so I went back and I rewrote John's character, Ooh. and he now is like this super strong. Um, endearing. Now you understand too why he went on to marry another woman and have Gilbert. And I think that was important. Is that I need you need those ties in the narrative to Lucy Maud Montgomery's work in order for it to work. Yeah. So every character that I wrote has a tie to Lucy Maud Montgomery's original series, and you can you can follow those. Yeah. And that's what I think makes it fun yeah. too. Oh. Is, to ha is to be able to say, okay, now let me take this character and I can draw them from Marilla of Green Gables to Anne of Green Gables to Anne of Avonlea and so on, all the way through. Yeah. So. Okay, just one last question before yes. we wrap up. If people love Anne so much and they're hard to give her up, what do you want them to know before they read Marilla? They're not giving up. Yeah, I would never right. say, never give up Anne. <laughs> Anne is forever. She's forever a part of, of my story and my heart, I would say that Marilla is a good, almost like a starting point for people who have not read the End of Green Gables series. It leads you right into it. Uh, Bookmarks Bookstore is my independent bookstore and my independent family. Um, or bookseller family, I should say, that sounds funny, independent family. <laughs> My independent bookselling family in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and um, the manager there, Beth, had never read Anne of Green Gables, and so she read this book, and she said, oh my gosh, I read it, and it was the perfect place to start. I can start right into the series, and she started right into Anne of Green Gables. So in a way, um, if, you ha if, no one, if you haven't read it, it's a great way to start. If you have read it, I... Uh, also see that it is almost like a reigniting of a flame. I've had so many librarians come up to me and say, I love this series, I'm, I'm reading Marilla of Green Gables, and then I want to go back and reread the rest. I, had, I did that too. Yes. Yeah. And so I feel like it's this resurgence of reading. It's not just like um, one singular book. It's opening a door to a whole revisiting of a whole 
culture and legend and you get to reimmerse yourself in the Green Gables world. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is what it's not it's not one or the other. This is a part of the series. Some are, that's what I aimed for it to be, sort of seamlessly to be part of Lucy Mom Montgomery's work. Someone on Twitter, another librarian actually, she put up a photo of all the Anne books oh. with Marilla of Green Gables in it. And she said, look, it fits right in with all the colors. And I thought, oh my, I, it was beautiful. Yeah. And it does, it fits right in. And, and she said, I'm so, I read this, I loved it, and I'm so excited to add it to the Anne family. And that was the biggest compliment that for me. That is like a big compliment. So that's yeah. what I want it to be. I just want it to be, um, we're continuing the Anne of Green Gables series backwards. Yeah. So we're going to the beginning now. Yeah. And who's who's to say too that there might be more? You yeah. just never know if we're really going had a long life. backwards. Exactly. So, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Well, be sure to check out Marilla of Green Gables out October twenty third. Yes. And we've been talking to Sarah McCoy and it's been lovely. Thank you. Thank yeah. you all. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoy Marilla of Green Gables. <laughs>